Hey, I'm Robert Fleming, one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. One of the other partners is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are here to talk to you about elder law issues. Remember for the conversation that follows that we are an Arizona law firm. And what we're going to talk about is law that is very specific to Arizona. Those similar provisions have been adopted in a small handful of states. We're going to talk about provisions of Arizona law governing health care powers of attorney and an oddball, at least in our view, provision that was added a couple of years ago to the Arizona law. That provision says that an agent under a health care power of attorney cannot keep visitors away from the principal unless the power of attorney explicitly gives them permission to, to do that. And to be clear, the kind of visitors that we're talking about are visitors who have what the law calls a significant relationship. Not a great definition of significant relationship, but, um, but we, can, we can conjure up two kind of extreme cases to talk about. One is the, the, the new spouse, the, the first spouse has died or become divorced, and there are children, adult children from that marriage, and the new spouse has a power of attorney and would like to isolate the principal from the children from the first marriage. That seems like an obvious story. And the second story that we could talk about is the person who shows up, claims to be in love with the, with the demented principal, maybe wants to marry them, and the child or, uh, or a sibling or somebody has a power of attorney and would like to keep this gold digger, let's call them just to be, they might not be, but let's just to keep the, the sense clear, uh, would like to keep the gold digger away. So Elizabeth, have you seen either of those kinds of stories? I have, Robert. And when I chat with people about their healthcare powers of attorney, one of the first things I tell someone is, you're going to be able to continue making your own healthcare decisions for probably the rest of your life or thereabouts. The capacity that somebody needs to give informed consent to medical procedures to make decisions around healthcare, it's actually a pretty low standard of capacity. But the things that I think people start to think more about and worry about may be their lack of insight into certain things that relate to their health, their ability to make decisions about driving, their ability to make decisions about whether or not they might need caregiving services or might benefit from having a particular kind of procedure. And so when I talk to people about insight and the way that insight changes sometimes as people age, we often talk about relationships and what means the agent may have to encourage or restrict somebody who purportedly has a significant relationship. And I start by asking our clients, hey, uh, how do people get along in your family? How do people get along in your circle of friends? Do you have any concerns about somebody who you really love and care about but that doesn't get along with your spouse or doesn't get along with your kids? Do you have a crazy friend from high school who just is annoying and who your family just is exhausted by? I, I start by just asking a really broad question. If somebody says, you know what, no, I don't really have anybody like that, then my next question is, well, talk to me a little bit about how you would feel in the event that 
you weren't able to decipher whether the person calling you asking for money was an old classmate from law school or a new friend or just a random person. If you weren't able to differentiate who that was on the other end of the phone, would you feel comfortable having your healthcare agent help make some decisions about who might be calling you and whether or not the person calling you was trying to take advantage of you? Almost always our client will say, oh yeah, my healthcare agent, my daughter, my son, my spouse, my niece, she'll know. And so then when we get to that point in the discussion, then I say, is there any reason that you don't want to allow your agent to be able to exercise his or her discretion, keeping you in mind? And the person will normally say, Robert, no, I I trust my agent implicitly. Well, if you do, give them that power, give them that power. And I, Mm. I, I have this conversation, Robert, in a very personal way with folks who don't have kids. And my husband and I don't have children. And one of the things that I am really mindful about is how much I like to socialize and how I think at a certain point in my life I may be a sitting duck to that person who comes by the house routinely or calls me to check in. Um, I know my personality and I know that I enjoy engaging with folks. And I also know that um, I am somebody who could be pretty easily a target later on in life. And so I feel very strongly that particularly for folks who may not have um, whatever it means to have a traditional family, um, but who may not have the four kids and, you know, the, the picket fence, you know, we really need to be thinking in advance about the fact that um, our circles may be a little bit smaller. So one of the odd things about this new law, and by new, I don't mean really new, it's been a couple of years, but uh, one, one of the odd things about it in my mind is that although the idea of keeping somebody away from visiting a principal was a relatively rare issue before the law, it did come up, but it was relatively rare. Now they've made us deal with it in advance in virtually every case. We have to, we have to talk to clients and ask them which they prefer. And so we have probably created more documents that restrict access than that far more than there would have been restricted access under the prior law so to the extent that they were trying to encourage access i think they might have done the opposite unintentionally and robert i will also say those those clients who say well can't i have both my answer is you know what the last thing you want me to do is draft a confusing muddied provision in right. this healthcare power of attorney so uh no I'm not. I'm not going to. It's A or B. I'm not going to try and create some kind of hybrid <clears throat> yeah. provision. So we have, for most of the time since the new law, actually we started doing it before the new law became effective. When they first started talking about it in the legislature, we began to give clients two choices in the draft. Sometimes, as you describe, Elizabeth, we have a conversation with them and we only draft it one way or the other. But pretty much um, most of the cases that I deal with, we give them two sentences. Sentence A is what we think they probably will want, which is what you described, giving the agent the power to restrict visitations. And sentence B is the one that the legislature presumes, which restricts the agent's ability to restrict visitors. Um, So what's your experience? Robert, people, as soon as I really get get into it and explain it to folks. Most people really want to be able to have their agent exercise discretion and limit. 
I would say I probably don't talk about it as much with the clients. I let them just read the two sentences and choose. And it might be close to 50-50 with a slight preference for the restriction, the ability to restrict visits. Uh, so once again, the effect of this is, uh, is different from what the legislators intended, I think. What, what if your power of attorney is silent on this? Well, Robert, then we have to look at the law. And, and then, if, if the law says you've got to have explicit provision around the agent's ability to restrict and you don't, then the law would apply and say that the, the agent needed to encourage. So if, if uh, that gold digger who says, I have a significant relationship, yes, I met him after he became demented, but he loves me dearly. Uh, if they show up on the scene and you as the healthcare agent want to keep them away, really your only recourse is to go to court to get an order restricting their contact. Is that right? Well, Robert, that's one of the most likely that's one of the most likely solutions. I, I think that we see in cases where somebody doesn't want to go to court and they want to restrict visits or interface by somebody who is, let's just call them a um, troublemaker, um, that, that can be an incredible invasion of somebody's autonomy and privacy when we think about the principle, right, and, and the principle lacking insight into what the problem maker, what the, you know, a problematic person may be doing so it gets really complicated you get into the weeds really quickly um, family relationships can be harmed yeah just talking about this is really important and and Robert just as I was saying a few minutes ago those folks who who may not have the traditional kind of family setup those are oftentimes the people who are also fearful that they won't have contact with folks. Mm -hmm. So they are the folks that will also sometimes say to me, no, no, I want to encourage people to visit me. And so it, this conversation usually, I would say, runs anywhere from three to five or ten minutes sometimes in conversations when I'm, I'm meeting with people and discussing the provision. It's pretty often something that the clients have never thought about before. And, uh, and, and we hate to have them leave in a state of, of confusion and disarray and discomfort, but sometimes that they can generate that. I, I think it's also important to be very clear that if you are the agent under a healthcare power of attorney that gives you the power to restrict visits, that doesn't mean you have to restrict visits. In fact, you should encourage visits. It's when the visits become harmful or disruptive, uh, and not harmful or disruptive to you, but harmful or disruptive to the principal. You don't. You don't make that. You shouldn't make that decision on the basis of your own wishes and convenience. You make it on the basis of, of what's good for the for the principal. And conversely, if the if the document says that you uh, don't have the power to restrict, but the the visits really are harmful, or most critically, the somewhat demented principal says, "But I don't want to see my daughter." The fact that uh, that you don't have the power to restrict them does not mean that they have the automatic right to visits. You can't force yourself into your dad's bedroom if he doesn't want to see you. Um, although, then there's going to be a dispute about whether that's his voice or your voice um, or, or exactly who said what to whom when, and there's going to be a big family set to about it. And Lord knows we've seen some of those in the popular press in the last five or ten years. And we want to help you avoid that. That would be it. Would be very nice to not have any of these be 
uh, front page of the newspaper or even back pages of the newspaper. Um, we're always there to try to talk people down from ledges too. Well, that was a bright, sunny topic as it turned out. Um, so everybody think about your healthcare power of attorney if you're in Arizona. And, um, and all by itself, this might be a reason to update your documents if they were written before the, the new law. If they're more than, let's say, three years old, um, it's, it's maybe worth the time to review them and consider what you want to say about this. And on that note, I think let's let people go. I'm Robert Fleming. I've been chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are both sitting here thinking about our family dynamics now. You're listening to Elder Law Issues, the weekly podcast of the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. And um, we'll talk to you next week, too.